Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome along to the Rugby Pod, brought to you as usual by our good friends at Guinness. How good's this? They've pledged over £1 million to those affected by coronavirus and have been helping out bartenders across the UK, which is amazing work from Guinness. Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. How's your week been, guys? What have you been up to? Uh, well, big news in my house is uh, the nanny's back, which is unbelievable, and the golf courses Woo! are open. The golf courses are open, so um, de- absolutely delighted. Life changer, to- yeah, completely. Um, you know, you're actually actually allowed to work yourself now and not have the twins screaming the door down. And it's a, it's a massive change uh, in terms of the ability to have another pair of hands here to looking after the twins, which means there's less stress on me and the missus. And um, I played golf. I've I've you know got the nanny working for us, and she's an absolute godsend. So uh, I love our nanny, um, not in a kind of weird way, but just in a she's amazing with our kids way. Um, so we're a lot happier this week and it's getting that one step closer to normal but my, my week wasn't anywhere near as eventful as yours was it James? It's really interesting you mentioned golf I, I've always Matt, I've always liked golf I've always absolutely loved golf so send me location send me location and I'll see you on the golf course mate. <laughs> <laughs> well have, having played in the rugby pod golf day um, and watched you play then mate you, were, you, you just drive the buggy that's all we need to, you to do not Andy Powell style just drive the buggy. Drive me in the buggy around the course. I'll do whatever, mate. I'll do whatever you want me to do. But yeah, I've had an interesting week, Andy wrote. Yeah, Jim, I see you've got a new member of the family. I thought you were trying to cut down numbers. Nah, just add, mate. Just add. Anything that will get me out of the house. So golf, apparently I can't just turn it to a golf club because you have to be a member. You can't go to the gym. Cafes are closed. So what will get me out of the house that's legit? i tell you what. We'll get one of the hardest dogs to look after ever. A Belgian Shepherd, he'll get you out of the house. <laughs> so we bought we bought a dog last week, called him Ace. Uh, he's an absolute beaut. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm in love yet, but he's on the way to feeling some love. And I'm putting in the hours. Of course I am. I'm putting in about eight or nine hours outside. I'm hoping to move that up to about 12 or 13 as <laughs> this lockdown continues. But no, we, we we took the plunge. To be fair, it's a two-week trial. So I've done a bit of research and stuff, and I was going to get another boxer, but there's only one Bruce. Um, God rest in peace. I'm not religious, but that's what they say, I think, if you are religious. So rest in peace, Bruce. So I can't get another boxer. So I was really keen to get a black dog, and I really like wolves because I'm, I've, I've heard that they're really cuddly. So did a bit of research and was keen on a German shepherd. friend of the show, Darren Cave, had a German shepherd before. And I thought, well, I'm not into them peeing all over the floor and all that toilet train. So let's try and skip that if we can. What other options are out there? So it was either getting one that you basically look after them at the end of their life. I thought, well, I'm not going through that process again. And then the other option was to get one that's need rehoming. Couldn't do that again with the with the twins. And I looked at another option, which I had a few thoughts about before, was getting in contact with the police to see if they had any dogs that wouldn't get through training for whatever reason. And randomly, I, I, I emailed them about um, two months ago when I found out this this lockdown was starting they were the first people that I emailed was I'll get a dog and uh, they came back to me and said look we, we've got this dog his name was Andy I thought well, I ain't calling it Andy was that an actual email address Jim at I, uh, how do I get a dog yeah at how do I get a dog com yeah <laughs> It might have been .co.uk. Um, and they, they, they rang me and said, we've got a dog called Andy. I, I, he fits the bill. And I was like, well, firstly, I ain't going to call him Andy. Why? Well, it'd be weird, wouldn't it? Well, you call me Tits or Goody or <laughs> what else? You call? Morbid, Mr. Morbidly Obese. Well, all, all, all four of them are weird. So, 
all four of them names are weird. So I had the, had the name Ace in my mind. And look, we, we've had him for five or six days. He's brilliant. He's really good with the kids. Um, he's a horny little thing, mate. He needs his uh, his nuts chopped off, which I feel awful. Imagine getting your nuts chopped off. So like, <laughs> we keep, imagine they're there, they're dangling. You're absolutely loving life. You get them urges. And in the background, these people that are feeding you and walking you and shouting at you, they're saying and they're thinking to themselves, them little bally things that make you feel really, really funny and tingly, they're coming off, big fella. So <laughs> they need to come off. They need to come off because he's got a lot of a grip. But no, he's brilliant, mate. Good weather's here. Uh, he's running around. He's loving the kids. They're loving him. Uh, he's here to stay, I think, unless anything bad happens in the next few days. So just um, <clears throat> on that, Jim, are you those eight hours a day you spend outside with Ace at the minute, and I've seen some videos and pictures, it looks awesome, but I, I don't generally really ever see you with the kids and ace it's just you and ace time right uh, and jj oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's have a look at some news the july tests have finally been officially postponed by world rugby but uh, the guidelines released by the uk government have mapped out how sport can go ahead and start returning uh, the champions cup final has been penciled in for october 17 uh, but it's more difficult for rugby isn't it and other sports to come back guys yeah, we spoke about it last week off the back of me watching the UFC and the Bundesliga started at the weekend. Das ist der Bund in Bundesliga dann, Um And about, apparently there was a billion people that watched it. I don't know. So you mentioned the July tests. Of course, they were never going to go ahead. October would be nice as well. Look, I, I don't know. I just... I'm trying not to think about it because, you know, I, I don't want to dangle the carrot. I don't want it dangled in front of me because literally I'm like, you know, that GF, the, the llama that we spoke about there. I'll be licking the bo- I'll be lip- licking the tip of the carrot, mate, because we're all desperate for a live sport to start back. So the UK seems very different to other countries without being political in terms of the testing and who's getting testing. Are they going to make available... I mean, you can imagine the numbers in the squad. So 30-man squads plus the medics, plus the coaches, plus the stewards, the TVs, if they're going to put it on TV. So it's a big old operation to get through. But it needs to happen at some point, doesn't it? So regardless of what happens, in order to get the game up and running it's going to have to happen so they're the, th- the measures that are going to be have to put in place in terms of testing and uh, making sure that everyone's safe I don't know I'm still convinced that the season's not going to be finished and it will just reboot f- for the start of next year however that looks and for the millions of listeners I'm sorry I would rather be more positive I'm more positive this week I've got a dog called Andy who we've called Ace but unfortunately that's where I stand I'm just mate as much as I like football and the, that is the Bundesliga de Schlugen, I need ruggers to start, mate, because I am hungry for a carrot. <laughs> yeah, spot on. It's, I mean, it was obvious the July tests were going to be cancelled. Um, and it's interesting as well, isn't it? You, when you actually look into the detail of European rugby and the Champions Cup pencilling the dates, the October 17th, that's kind of dates that are reserved for next season if we were living normality. Um, and there's a big play politically at the minute between uh, Simon Halliday and sort of Bill Beaumont as well. EPCR are saying, actually, that's our window of opportunity. And that's when we've got games penciled in for next season so we're going to use our those weekends as our finals weekend so it's you know there's a lot to get through the French league you know that they've got teams in the quarterfinals how do you go about that one because they've cancelled the top 14 for the rest of the season um there's still not an official cancellation from the Guinness Pro 14 but 
ultimately, you know, what does that look like? Who knows? And international travel is going to be pretty significantly affected and, and how you can get around that as well. So there's there's baby steps being taken around it, which, you know, you just have to keep testing and seeing what happens. And, um, you know, you start with the little group trainings that they're talking about with social distancing. So be that, you know, running sessions or whatever collectively and that builds up over time we may get there we may not but uh, yeah for people to think we're going to be starting in a few weeks is pretty crazy i think and the big rugby news this week was the publication of lord miner's independent review into the premiership salary cap what do you guys both make of his recommendations uh, yeah, I wrote a column on it for Rugby Pass. I was really impressed with it, to be honest. Um, it leaves sort of no question around any ambiguity. So it's it's in black and white. What you can and can't do, and his they, these are only his recommendations. And what he did say, the big thing, was trying to make everyone accountable, be it a club, uh, and then part of that club, you've got a chairman, you've got representatives that are on the board that are, you know have to be sort of nominated as club officials. They can be held to task. You've got players, you've got agents. You know, everyone will be accountable for the adhering to of a salary cap now lord miners it's been such a thorough investigation um he's basically come out and said that in reality what happened to saracens and what saracens got away with yes there were some gray areas but they certainly pushed the boundaries knowingly uh and they could have had a you know a greater punishment than what's been given out to them title strips and everything like that so what it does do is it shows that this time, if they are going to vote it in and 10 out of the 13 Premiership stakeholders have to vote this in uh, to get it passed through um, in terms of a 10 out of 13 majority, that then leaves everything pretty clear. And if I'm Saracens, I should be the first club to say, yeah, we're going to we're going to adhere to that and we're going to abide by that because finances are massively different now uh, from what they were sort of two, three, four months ago. And clubs are on their knees a little bit financially. And I think a massive part of that is the salary cap and, and and what different clubs can do around it. And ultimately, with no room for manoeuvre around grey areas that certain clubs have looked at getting through the loopholes of, I think it makes for a very robust way of trying to actually bring some integrity, integrity back into the game, which has clearly been missing this season. You mentioned Saracens there. Will they be part of any of the recommendations of um, making sure they go ahead? Didn't you say it was like 10 out of 13 of them had to say, yes, go ahead? Will they be part of that discussion at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 13 clubs, there's 13 stakeholders, premiership stakeholders. So it's all the clubs in the premiership plus Newcastle. And they all get a vote and they have to vote in whether they make the changes or not. And so you need a, a majority of 10 out of 13 clubs to pass it. Um, and if, you know, if I'm Saracens and you're trying to claim back some credibility, um, you should be first to say, I'm, I'm signing up for that. Goody, for once, not once, a few times I do agree with you. We can't have another situation that we had at Saracens. It was just such big news. The game was brought into disrepute and we've seen the ramifications off the back of that. And look, you forget, don't you, because of everything that's happened globally, that that only happened a few months ago and the impact that had on the game. Look, I don't want to see it again. And I don't want to have question marks either. If we're going into the new Prem season and we've got Bristol with Semi Ranrandra running around, I don't want us thinking, oh, are they paying him? And, you know, is it all legit? Because that's what people will be thinking. Do you know what I mean? That, that That's ultimately human nature. Uh, you know, some of the signings that Sale have got as well and Sale doing so well for 
large parts of the season and going into next year, like they're a quality team. I don't want to be questioning when I'm watching the games or commentating on the games, is that here? So I think we need some kind of governance, uh, independence, and it's the evolution of rugby, isn't it? That's where we are. You know, you look at the the biggest sports in the world and we all aspire to be involved in in, a, in sports as big as the NBA and NFL and football and all this and rugby's going that way. We've seen the amount of money come into it, so we need to have the, the people in place to be able to police it. And I think the other thing on it is I know a lot of the clubs have taken these and probably all of them have distributed this 25% pay cut. I think that's going to be the new normal. It wouldn't surprise me if if players end up having to accept their new salaries are 75% of what they were on uh, previously because of the state of the game now. So um, there is a lot of water to go under the bridge. There's a lot of discussions going on behind closed doors. And I, you know, I think we are not hearing the last of this, certainly. And like Jim says, you want, a clean, you want a clean slate for everyone. You want Saracens getting promoted again, coming back into the Premiership and knowing that there's no wriggle room at all. And what they're paying their players is perfectly within the salary cap. And then, you know, they can forget what's gone on previously and, and they won't be judged on that. You can only judge on the here and now. And, and that's the only way to build some integrity back in the game, I think. Do you think the 13 clubs will vote it in? Uh, listen, uh, you know, a club that's on their knees financially, you could pick any one of them in the Premiership. Um, we've said it on here many times about them losing forty-eight million pound collectively last year. You know, do Bristol want to do it? From the comments that Steve Lansdowne is putting out, it sounds like he doesn't want to do it. You know, what other clubs are in such a strong position that their owner is someone uh, who is in the Sunday Times Rich list? So, you know, it's it's very different. And again, for clubs like Saracens, Saracens are they're trying to be sold at the minute. You have to balance the books. You have to be a viable business. And I'd be very surprised if this doesn't get pushed through. But I do believe that some of the clubs will say, actually, right here, right now, we can't do that, which doesn't help uh, the integrity of the game moving forward. And like Jim said, you don't want to be talking about it. And the only way to to not talk about it is to make sure that there's so much uh, of a rigid structure there that there's no ambiguity around a team could possibly cheat because so many people, from players to agents to clubs to people within those clubs are all responsible uh, and you know can be held accountable for what goes on so I think it's a necessity more than anything and you just hope that clubs follow suit. Guys uh, a friend of yours Simon Cohen left as CEO for Leicester uh, this week how do you guys feel hearing that news for a start? Sad uh, first and foremost I put a tweet out there Simon Cohen was amazing for me at Leicester I was a bit of a tear away but I've got huge respect for Simon Cohen and what he's done but my opinion is is Leicester needs change from top to bottom and Simon Cohen is near the top of that food chain uh, he's done an unbelievable job at Leicester but it's just Leicester as a club has, has been falling and falling and falling and if it wasn't for Saracens um issues this year and, and relegation less would be relegated I think in my opinion so they've been saved because of that situation and I think they need fresh change all the way through and we've seen Borthwick coming in we've seen they're offloading some of the players and unfortunately as CEO uh, Simon Cohen becomes accountable he, he knows that like you know Simon, when you're in that kind of role and Goody will speak a little bit more like yeah I take the emotion out of it I'm gutted for Simon but I also respect and understand the job that he's done for that club and many other players that have been through that club but it's time for change like it's the same with everything isn't it it's you know even as a player as much as you think you might be at the top of your game and and everything's going well there's a point where it's not so you know hopefully it's been amicable 
Um, I'm, I'm sure there'll be more changes coming from that club. I don't know where they stand in terms of what they're doing, Goody, in terms of selling it, but I've got huge admiration, huge respect for Simon. I'm sure he'll come on the podcast. He's a big listener. Yeah, he's been a brilliant guy for the club and, you know, make no bones about it. People are kind of looking at Leicester right now and seeing them as 11th last year, 11th this year and saying it's not good enough. But let's also remember that Simon Cohen, I think, has been there nearly 15 years at Leicester. And in those 15 years, there's been a huge amount of success. I think they've won the, the Premiership in those 15 years, probably five, maybe six times. Uh, I don't know the exact stats, but he's been a part of that. And he, he's done some wonderful things that perhaps people aren't conscious of because it's not just about a result on a, on a weekend um, around the club, uh, the infrastructures that he's put in. I mean, one of the biggest things that Leicester have done this year and the most positive thing that Leicester have done this year, in my opinion, is bring Steve Borthwick in as head coach. Now, that was all Simon Cohen um, in terms of the CEO. So he, he's done some great things for the club. Um, ultimately, there's some new board members at Leicester. Um, you know, you don't know whether they've had an influence and said, right, actually, we're new to the board. Um, we need to make change. Uh, and Jordan Murphy said it on our Patreon content. The club's in a, in a position that it's just not good enough for their expectations. So change has to be made. And unfortunately for Simon, um, the board have taken the decision to, to change him as CEO um, and Andrea Pynchon, who Jim and I both know pretty well, um, gets promoted from COO to CEO. Is there something in there that the finances, you don't need a COO and a CEO, who knows? Um, and Andrea's been moved into that role and she'll do a very good job there, uh, running the club uh, from that perspective. But ultimately, you do feel sorry for Simon and, and that's what contracts are for. If he gets paid out, um, and I don't know the ramifications of it or anything like that, if he's treated in the right way and he gets the money that he uh, is due in his contract then um, you know unfortunately sometimes people have to move to to make change and and that's the issue with Simon I think. There's also been some movement at Gloucester Johan Ackerman he's he's left as well you guys surprised by that by that and and how would you judge his success and his time there? Well I'm gutted and surprised, if I'm honest, uh, did did not see that coming at all. You know, Gloucester haven't played well this season, but as we saw with Wass and Goody and me joked about it that Wass were in relegation fight, and next thing they're in the top four. So you know that this Premiership was a, a slightly strange one. I don't think Cipriani was playing as well as he was last year. Um, obviously, the World Cup, and they've got a few guys in that in their team that would have been away with the. World Cup as well. I'm absolutely gutted. One, because I'm a Gloucester fan, and I don't know if I said I was captain there for a season, I was vice-captain for two. Um, <laughs> because they've been, a Gloucester have been a club, right, that have had so many different changes along the way. And I'm trying to work out what what's going on here. I'm trying to work out why Johan Ackerman would leave to go to Japan when I, I'd say the job's not even half done. Last year, they were brilliant. I don't think they overachieved. I had them in the top four this year. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think what's different there, what has, uh, has caused him to want to leave. And if he went to South Africa and he took the South Africa job under Razi Erasmus, I'd be like, mate, that that's where I see you going. But I think the, the Gallagher Premiership have lost a real good rugby man. I know the lads at Gloucester absolutely loved working for him and the staff as well. I, you know, And every time I, I, I met him, I mean, obviously he knew me because I was captain and vice captain for two years. Just a warm guy, you know, and uh, I'm gutted because I'm thinking, Gloucester now, who are you going to bring in? Gutted, Goody. Yeah, um, I am as well, actually. And I think from the outside, when you hear the news and when you 
find out what's gone on, I think everyone will be surprised. When you don't know the intricate details of the club and look into it, you're very shocked because he's such a good guy, isn't he? You see him smiling. He's always got a smile on his face. Um, and the rumours you hear around the club are, as Jim said, everyone wants to play for him. Everyone wants to work for him. He's a really nice guy, kind. Like Jim said a couple of weeks ago, he let all the guys leave to go back to their families when the pandemic kicked in so they could self-isolate and, and, and not be in lockdown in a country separate from their families. So um, so I started looking into it. I started thinking, this is weird. It just doesn't sit right with me uh, as to why he's left and, and why he's left now as well when the season could come back. And, you know, you start looking into some changes. Last year, like Jim said, they get into the playoffs, Gloucester. Stephen Vaughan was the CEO. Uh, they changed CEO over the summer. Uh, Lance Bradley comes in, which for me was a bit of a change and a bit of a surprise because... Why do you change a CEO when you've just started to have some really good impacts? You've made some quality changes around your squad, around your coaching department, and you've got stability in Johan Ackerman. So you change a CEO, and I started doing my research into that, and Lance Bradley, from what I hear, acts more like a super fan than a CEO. And I, I mean that from from the rumours that I'm hearing around the club, in the changing rooms, trying to be best mates with the players. And then you dig a little bit that deeper as well, and you sit there and you start finding out why has this happened to Ackerman and you start hearing you know they brought in Rory Teague um, Cipriani some of the issues that he's had uh, around selection non-selection what's happening then you start hearing rumours and whispers so I heard there was a bit of a coup around uh, players and coaches not being aligned not being aligned and very few of them not being aligned but going to Bradley and and saying right we need to make changes so no way. From what I'm hear, hearing, yeah. And I don't think it's the last change we're going to see at the club either. Really? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, for me, Gloucester were on a, a, a fantastic pathway with David Humphreys as your director of rugby, Johan Ackerman as your head coach. They had a squad that was ever improving. They got to the playoffs last year. Okay, this year they're sat in ninth, but you've seen you only need to win a couple of games and you're up near fourth again. So I, I don't read too much into this year. What I do read a lot into is the changes that have been made, Lance Bradley changing things at the club, uh, and then the potentially being a bit of a coup to get go behind Ackerman's back and and by a player, by a coach, by someone uh, who Johan's got wind of this and said, right, if that's the way I'm going to be treated and that's what's happening behind my back, can I go and speak to other clubs? And, I, you know, do I see a future here at Gloucester? Well, no, I don't. So that's what happened. He went to speak to other clubs and he got a fantastic offer to go and coach as we broke here on uh, on, on the rugby pod a couple of weeks ago to go and coach out in Japan. So, um, yeah, it's bizarre, really bizarre, and I think really bad sort of management from a CEO perspective. I, I just do not understand how you can ever build stability when that's the way you act around a club. And this is what I'm being told from sources as to what has happened. My goodness me, Goody. <laughs> messy. It is um, very messy, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a real shame as well. I mean, look, you know, I know Lance as well, Lance, was uh, probably was a big fan of mine. It's probably not anymore, Goody. After you've said that, but uh, I'm just like, being, you know, I'm just, be, I'm just <laughs> being honest from what I hear. So, well, yeah, you well, know. well, you should be as well because I, I think it's important and I find it really interesting as well. Uh, my thing around it is, is I've seen a couple of weird things. So we know Gloucester haven't been playing that well. Not a couple of weird things. One really weird thing. We know that the Gloucester fans are quite vocal and there's fans forums and stuff like that. But somehow Lance has picked up on the two mics 
I don't know if you saw it on social media. So there was Mike X and Mike X saying that he didn't think the they were saying they didn't think the team was working hard enough. So what Lance did was brought them to training, did a bit of content around around them, and brought them to the training ground to show these two mics that actually the lads were training. And there was all this video going around of the videographer following Lance and the two mics, introducing them to the players, and just just trying to make sure that they got to see how hard the guys were working. And I found that a little bit weird. How not that fans shouldn't be involved in what the players are doing and take interest. The fact that you bring two blokes to training that have not abused them, that's probably the wrong word, that have been very outspoken about the players not working hard enough and bring them to training and to interact with the guys. And I just found that that a little bit weird. I'm not saying that's got anything to do with it, but you flagged it up there. Uh, you know, we, we should talk about it, but the Premiership is going to be a lot less and Gloucester. Uh, maybe, you know, the, the void that he's left isn't as big as I may be saying, but my next thing is, who out there can you get to come to Gloucester with... Johan Ackerman's credibilities and, and personality and all that. I'm gutted. Isn't there chat that Rory Teague's just going to be promoted as head coach? Well, um, I think naturally people will start speculating. I, and I just said there, I've got no idea who they can bring in. Are, are they going to do it in-house? Is it, is it a money situation? Is it finance? You know, has Rory got the credibilities and has he got the personality to take that role I work with Rory I coached the academy at Saracens with him he's clearly a very good coach um coached with England went over to coach in France and Gloucester's his club he, his his uncle is Mike Teague so they've got r- rugby pedigree um I don't know it just looks a bit suspect doesn't it if, if that is if Goody's saying what is correct no mate, I'm not I'm not delving into all this drama I can't see that Goody I can't see him being head coach well I think he will be and I think he's manufactured his role quite well there to be honest and ultimately listen ch- the change has been made you know there was a there was a a load of reports last week about different people that could take the role. Let's be clear, with David Humphreys there currently as director of rugby, they're looking for a head coach. So the easiest thing to do between now and the end of the season or whatever in the short term is promote from within. Rory Teague has positioned himself to try and go for that role uh, by hook or by crook. And, you know, he'll probably end up with the role. But um, I think there's a lot more to come out of Gloucester. You know, it's it seems that there's a bit of a split in the camp now around how it's all been manufactured. And, you know, watch this space with them. You blow my mind. Well, speaking of the Premiership and the West Country, it's about time we've got a guest on and we've got Bristol Director of Rugby, Pat Lamb, on the line. How are you, mate? Good, Andy. Good. Pat, it's good to have you on, mate. And uh, there's a lot going on now that I'm, I'm sure we can talk about the Premiership, the start dates and stuff like that. But firstly, it'd be good to get a gauge on someone who is running a team uh, with a load of motivated athletes, players. How are you keeping the guys motivated in lockdown? Are you doing anything kind of out of the ordinary or are you just leaving them to their own, own devices and hopefully they'll come back in like Bowden Barrett, throwing around PBs after eight weeks away, ten weeks away? I think when we um, when we knew that this was all coming, obviously we were going quite well. We got together and we just quickly came up with a plan um, of all the heads of department working on each area, making sure we, we're connected, making sure the boys got clarity on what they got to do, that the resource well. And then also the big thing, is, as you, you boys know when you were there, routine. You, you underestimate how much routine we're in. Keeping routine from a... Uh, you know, mental health perspective was important. So we have uh, for the staff and players. So we we've had staff meetings every Monday, and we get a social time, bit of rugby stuff, connection. Um, and then as it started to go a bit long, we dropped it down to just Wednesday, particularly when the boys got furloughed. And it just became a social sort of gathering. 
but a lot of videos and stuff. Uh, boys are in good nick. That's good stuff. And you're a big believer in relationships with players uh, within the squad and obviously coaches all having good relationships. You can get that kind of feel that's coming out of Bristol this year, especially. Um, but for me, how hard was it for you as the head coach um, when they started talking about furloughing players and taking salary cuts uh, yourself? Because ultimately, we've seen a lot in the press from other clubs of um, they've taken it in different ways and how players have responded to it. How tough was it for you uh, to be the leader in that? I think like players will always want to know why, why we're doing this. And if you can give them that picture, then the buying is important. And we went through that process of explaining to the guys, this is what we face. Um, you know, the sustainability of the club and everything, if you think about it in the business, and then you sort of open it up in perspective what's going around the world. It began really important to put these things in place, but also give everyone an opportunity to ask questions. And I knew people, some people can deal with it in five minutes, some will need a few days, some will need a week, but it allowed people to vet, ask questions. And then when the furlough came in again, explain it, give everyone. So rather than just send emails out and say, this is happening, talk it through, get everyone a chance to ask questions. And just on the back of that, I mean, the easy and most flippant thing to say is Steve Lansdowne's got a hell of a lot of money. Um, and I know this wouldn't be something that rings true to you, but um, were any of the players at all, and I'm not asking you to name any, but were any of the players sort of thinking he's a you know a mega rich guy, what does it make a difference to? Because that's some of the noises that have come out from other clubs. One, again, part of the delivery of our message was everyone is affected and we saw on Sunday uh, with rich list that came out. Steve's been hit, and we knew that he's been hit um, as well. But I think the big thing is when everyone talks about Girona's money, it's, it's not the money we have. We What we have is a salary cap. He's been self-made because he's planned well and he's done business really well. And it's the same. We've put together a model when we started this three seasons ago about how we're going to be sustainable through our game, through the financial model, our recruitment retention, everything is around us being sustainable. And one of the things that I was pretty proud about was the fact that the last three seasons, although significant, the amount of money that Steve's put into the club in the last three seasons has been going down. Doesn't mean our budget's gone down or our costs have gone down, but suddenly we got more season record season tickets. We got sold Ashton Gate, commercial merchandise. Because of the work that players and staff have done on and off the field, and that's the journey that we're tracking. Obviously, the pandemic's come and put a bit of an obstacle in it. Um, but that's um, that's the model we're, we're working towards. Yeah, Pat, I find that really interesting. And you, you're hearing their rumours, their whispers from, from different clubs. Leicester probably being the headline one in terms of how they dealt with it. And they are unprecedented times. I just want to go back to the rugby because you guys were on an absolute roll. Five-game winning streak in what was probably the most contested uh, premiership we've ever seen. So how frustrating in terms of a rugby sense that you probably lost a little bit of momentum. We don't know whether the season's going to start again, but just a little bit on that. And then as someone at the helm, how long does it take for players to probably get up to that level? There'll be a conditioned uh, phase, there'll be a contact phase, but to get to the levels that you were collectively a team. The- yeah, like like everyone. I mean, um, it's you know, it was frust- well, it was frustrating for no no doubt. We we we, we were in a really good flow. However, again, it's same thing, context and, and what's going on in the world. But what we sort of did, and that was the reason we we put the uh, a key plan together, and we called it the um, the Bears. It was originally it was this coronavirus um, survival plan. I said, no, let's change it. Let's change it to the winning plan. And there's some great contribution from heads of department. And and basically, what we said was that when we whenever we're going to come out of this, what we've done through the season is put ourselves in a great position. 
to kick on. If it's going to carry on, we pick up and go. If it's going to be shortened, at least we're starting from third place with a chance to get into those playoffs and achieve our ultimate goal, which was the top six. But that's the sort of thing that's driving it. And I said to the boys, you know, if we come back and play nine games or midweek or seven, if it's less, it's like it's probably when, uh, you know, you get you get a bit of a taste of it, super rugby there, Andy. It's a shorter window to win something. So, again, staff and players have done a great job to keep everyone, you know, motivated. And when we get a sense that, you know, there's some guys might be struggling, we're, we're straight in to, to, to try and help there. Well, I think all it's did was, um, Jim, was give us a sense of, um, you know, um, pride in what we've done and using that as our motivation to whatever it looks like uh, to drive. And I think we're in a pretty good place. Um, and the boys, have, it's all been optional to do the work, but they certainly have. And um, how long to take to get back in? We reckon we only need four weeks of team training and we can get into it. The other thing, talking about the four weeks of team training and the changes that are going to be made, um, ultimately when the pandemic first sort of took hold of, it, of the game and, and everything went into sort of hiding really, you had a squad for this season. Now, for people that are listening and will know about what's happening, the squad from the 1st of July for Bristol is going to look very different to what you had back in March. Now, you're going to have the likes of Semi Randrandra uh, and Carl Sinclair. How hard is that or how easy is that going to be just to get them playing the Bristol way and understanding the mechanics of how you and your team work as an ethos and as an actual rugby team. Yeah, but that's the challenge all the teams face. I mean, the first thing that, you know, we do at the end of May, we got a few boys off contract so and some stuff. So what we're doing is, uh, you know, we, we, you know we, we're pretty proud of the way that we honour and acknowledge those who are leaving. When I was looking more and more likely that we're not going to be back to be able to do that, we're going to do that online. We've got a day set aside uh, with presentations and, and you know, acknowledgement. But what I have said, and Steve was huge and Chris Boy was huge supporters of this, that no matter what happens when the season is finally done, we're going to invite everyone back, all the players and staff that were very much a part of this uh, part of this season. Um, and then as far as the, the other players, you know, we've been obviously we've been in touch with the, the guys that are coming in and making sure that we'll obviously, if we, uh, through the next, four or five uh, weeks if we're getting back, um, a lot of these sort of calls, working through uh, game plan stuff um, and then connections and having these guys involved. Uh, I mean, Mitch Eady's an example now. You know, he's um, he's finished at Northampton now. Um, so, you know, again, well, he doesn't start to officially 1st of uh, uh, July. He's a Bristol boy and he's already in, in connected in some of the groups already and boys are helping him out. So, you know, it's, it's something that uh, we've got to plan for and, uh, you know, we, we're pretty pleased with the guys that will come through. And last week we saw, at the back end of the week, we saw the report come out from Lord Miners about the salary cap. Um, obviously, one of your major roles as, as head coach and, and director of rugby, that kind of role, is, is piecing that together. One, how hard is it to do that under the current circumstances? And two, what did you feel as a head coach and a club Bristol Bears in terms of the report and how it sits moving forward if there are changes to be made? Yeah, I mean, the salary cap is, it's interesting. Um, it's To me, it's, a, it's, it's obviously a very good thing. But what it is, is it's it's a framework you can use. It's like being on the field and we play, what are the rules? I hear the rules, all right? Now you do the best to, to win a game in the rules. So I look at the salary cap. Okay, here's the framework, here's the rules, and now we're going to do everything we can to be the best possible team within that and recruitment retention. And I was probably, it ended up being a blessing in disguise because I went to, when I was at Connacht, um, we had our, our budget. Uh, we were probably the other three Irish provinces were more than double what we had. But like, um, I couldn't complain about it. I even know agents, it's funny, agents who talk to me now 
they never used to bother um, bringing me because they said, well, waste of time. They, they won't have much money anyway. Um, but what, what I did was come up with a framework um, and use that budget that I knew I couldn't go over this amount. So I got, you know, I had good accountants, and all I'd said is, look, come up with a structure that if I offer this player even £10 more, it's going to change the number here. You know, so then I could be really clear because you know what agents are like. I'll go back and, and I'd say, well, this is the offer. And they say, oh, well, if you give me another five grand here or this here, then, um, you know, you'll get the deal done. So I go back and have a look and, no, I can't do it. So it's an easy, no, I can't, this is it. And I always said that we could build a team like that. And all I did when I came to Bristol, obviously the cap is bigger. But one thing, Bristol has never spent up to the cap. And even currently with the squad, I know there's been a lot of, you know, speculation and rumour about our cap. We're still under the cap, you know. Obviously, we've got a lot closer this time than we have in previous seasons. But there's a lot of planning and working out and players coming, players going. And I realised when I got here, the squad that I inherited, the money was heavily stacked to players who weren't number one. The players that had experience, but they weren't playing or they were injured. So it's a complete overhaul and restructure to make sure that, you know, if you're going to be the number ones, you've got to be world-class or heading towards world-class. And then making sure, you know, we put in uh, Champions Cup was our ambition to be that sort of team, the most dominant in Europe. Players playing for England um, will never play for England if our rugby program is average. And then the home-ground players was important. So Steve uh, and Chris Boyd gave me uh, the control over the academy to rearrange the academy and the structure of the academy. We actually do it different from the other 13, and we align the academy completely to the club. And we have to, we have a junior academy a manager and a senior academy manager, and everything's geared now. And the amount of homegrown boys that are coming through now is uh, you've got to balance it all out. So the money's geared to the performance and obviously what brings bums on seats, what can add value to our overall plan. So I see the salary cap as, as vital, but if if we go over the salary cap, mate, shh, come and point the gun at myself, Mark Tainton and our accountants and our board, you know, not anyone else. At the end of the day, it's our responsibility. And I worked in a place beforehand where I knew, well, there's no way we're going to compete, but we'll work with what we can work with and be prudent with and what we're doing. See, Pat, I think you've answered all the questions there because I think Bristol are a team uh, and there will be a team going forward. But the fact that you've answered it in terms of the salary cap and the amount of money and also arguably having two of the very best players in the Premiership going forward in Ran Randra and obviously Piatau as well, who, who's a world-class talent. One of the conversations that's happening now, are, are the, the kind of arm has, you know, the hand has been forced around the pandemic is the finances in rugby? And look, I, I'm all for it. I want to see the best players in the Prem. Me and Goody commentate. We absolutely love it when you see players. Bliss Bristol are a proper rugby team, but it almost seems like the Premiership is at a tipping point now in terms of how do we grow the game and how do we manage the finances? And uh, you've answered a little bit of it then, but going forward, how do you think yourself and Steve at the club, who are heavily investing in Bristol, not just in the playing group, but the academy, the stadium, but how, how do you think difficult it's going to be to justify that going forward in terms of the growing of the game and then the finance? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think that is the fundamental point of... Uh, why when I said I was going to come, uh, when Steve asked me and I asked him, what do you want to achieve? What is your vision, Steve and, and, and Chris, uh, you know, Chris Boyd, they're both good mates. And they both talked about, obviously, we need some rugby success. It hasn't been great here. But the big thing, they spoke with a lot of pride, the Bristol, Bristol men, and they pride about the community. And they talked to me about the you know Bristol as a, as a city and as people. And I think the big thing there 
the and what I liked about it, take the money aside, was growing the game. Growing the game that people can be passionate about the game that will get behind us. I mean, I heard about all the supporters that have gone through all the hard times. But not only that, let's get the next one. And, and we've had massive increase in the interest in the game from um, from under 19 year olds, which was which was really important, which was the whole Bears rebrand as well. But I think growing the game is one side of it, but the other side of it too. When I got here, everyone in the and the Premiership they talked to me about this is be the best competition. Remembering I come from Super Rugby, also from the Pro 12, Pro 14 now. And then there's always the question, which is the best? Well, if you're going to be the best, you got to have the best players or have the ability to recruit the best players. So. When the marquee rule, that was what it was about. And when I remember bringing Charles Piertel and people said, oh, it's crazy, you know, I only brought Charles Piertel here, not only for his rugby ability, but I knew him personally. I knew he could add value on and off the field. I knew it wasn't a gamble because it's not about getting the best players, it's about getting the right players that will grow our game, grow our brand, grow our product so that, you know, I know TV rights are coming up soon. It's very difficult to ask for, you know, we want TV rights and we're not the best competition. You know, we want to be the best. It's the same with the Redraja. Like, I knew Simi. I'm a big follower of the NRL, and I saw him playing, but I didn't have any interest in bringing it. It wasn't until I coached the Barbarians, and I saw him, got to meet him, build a relationship, saw what he could do. But also, when I'm seeing everyone, as <laughs> as you know, in the Barbars, you know, relaxing and enjoying themselves, here's this guy doing his, uh, his prehab, rehab stretches, an ultimate pro. And that's why, um, that's why I had an interest to bring him here, because I realised what he did in the World Cup, he will bring massive value into our premiership, into Bristol, but also grow our great game and also help us be commercially you know, viable as well. Let's talk about Sammy, because I've commentated on him quite a lot, and he is, in the nicest possible way, an absolute freak of nature. And I mean that with the greatest respect, because his skill set, his power, his pace, everything is phenomenal. How much are you excited to have him in your team? How much are you excited to coach him? And also, have you got a move designed where you just say, give it Sammy, and that's the only move you need to win a game? Yeah, again, uh, I totally agree with you. What he can do is, is freakish. And um, so we, the whole group, are, are really excited. I think, it, if anything... You know, you want to bring competition in. And if you're going to bring in competition to Charles Piertel, I think I think we saw even Charles go to another level uh, in the last season, uh, this season, when when Semi, when they reduced Semi, everyone was talking about Semi. I think Charles was kept putting a little reminder out there that, uh, you know, don't forget him as well. Um, and so that, that, and he's going to add value too, because again, knowing him and fitting into our culture, that he'll bring more than just the rugby side of it as well. And he'll bring out the best. I mean, all the players would just jump, you know, I mean, guys would say, I'm just going to hang off him and get the offloads and stuff. So he'll bring that in that sense. But I think the other side of it too is probably the game we want to play, but all the kids, uh, all our supporters, and um, it will just add to what we're trying to do. And I'm, I'm not a big fan to say, and I, and I know that the rugby's a team game. Um, Semi won't be able to do what he can do, and likewise Charles, unless everybody else is doing that. And making sure you get your culture right, that it still comes back to the, the team game and the way we treat everyone is still exactly the same. But, uh, you know, certainly there's no point bringing Nathan Hughes here if he doesn't carry the ball. There's no point bringing – that's why I used to get frustrated when John Aloma used to play with certain teams. He'd be out there, do some things, but the ball would never go his way. Give him the ball. Mate, the ball never came to me either. There was a huge frustration. <laughs> in, in That's because you couldn't off. catch him. They had to run the ball from the line out, Jim. Of course. But, but I, I, I think it's good to mention, you mentioned the ambition this year in terms of managing supporters' expectations, top six. Now, I actually think that you were playing 
such good rugby that arguably top four was well in the grass but I think now you start signing these players and the pressure potentially starts coming on the expectation of the crowds the sellout crowds how difficult is that going to be to manage as you go into we don't know what if this is this season will finish but say we start again next season I honestly see you as one of the favorites for 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 the premiership because of Semiran Randra and Charles Piatal being fit. You've brought Nathan Hughes back through and Sinclair and, and the array of talent that you've got in your team that have come through. How does that change the dynamics of the team and, and the way that you coach it, having the pressure, I suppose, to do as well as maybe is expected with them players? Well, I put it on myself right from day one when I put together the five-year plan uh, for Steve and Chris. And in that plan, every year the bottom line has gone up um, where we need to, to finish. Now, I know going on the previous history of Bristol rugby, if I'd came in and said, right, Steve, the plan for the next five years, I'm going to keep Bristol in the premiership for five seasons. Uh, he probably would have signed that off. But that's not the way that it works. So every year I put in a, a bottom line on what that looks like. And I won't say what it is here, but it's pretty tough. But what it forces me to do, and, and I suppose I learned this when I got sacked, is that you, it forces me that there's good people that have come and gone. But ultimately, the only currency that we all have is, is, is performance and high performance. And so if everyone, as I said on day one when I got in, people said, well, how are you going to get Bristol back? How are you going to make them consistent? Well, everyone, players, staff, if we all as individuals aim to get better and, um, you know, by asking what have we done well, what we could do better, regardless of uh, what we do, then, the, then Bristol rugby is going to get better. So I've had to, you know, and, and be really challenging and separate relationship from performance and, you know, making sure that I'm asking myself every question when I'm having one-on-ones, is this the best? Can I? Can you get more? And if it's not and someone else can come in and do that, then we'll, we'll have to make the changes. Because at the end of the day, what we're trying to put in place is a structure and a world-class system that's reliant on no individual. So if Charles leaves, the next guy has to come in and do that. Uh, if Pat leaves, the last thing we want is suddenly to wipe out everything that we bring the next person to build on. So when I'm looking for replacement and staff, you know, at the moment, um, if I'm looking at a role, there's a lot of people going for it. And some names that are going for some of the roles are really high. And I know if I put that name out, people go, oh, that's great. But no, I'm looking for the right person to fit the role and the, where we currently are as a team to make sure that this is sustainable right through. Um, so the pressure, when you ask that question, is already I already put that on myself and everybody else. So we drive the ship that while our culture is, uh, is really important, it has to be a high-performance team. And the new facility that we're about to go into is unbelievable. It's a game changer. And we'll get you guys down there once once we're all back in to have a look through it. Um, that, that, again, when you walk in, you know, some of the staff already feel, said, I feel the pressure that my performance has to be here to live up to what we're about to go into. Well, Pat, half a million pound, mate. I'll run through a brick wall for you and the one next door to that as well, mate. <laughs> I'm loving it, mate. I, I want it again. I was going to say, Pat, I put my CV in to be the nutritionist, but I didn't hear back from you, so I don't know I don't know, don't know what went wrong with that one. Uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't make their first hurdle, mate. <laughs> but we haven't got a good kitchen, mate. Oh, there we go. Well, I'll definitely come and experience that when, you, when you're open. Um, last thing from me, really, then, obviously, 
obviously, um, as sort of director of rugby head coach, the, the plans are ever evolving with the pandemic that's going on. Can you just give us a bit of insight, if you can, at the minute you might not be able to, about what are the current sort of steps being taken? I know there was reports this week that um, it's been put back another week so you can train together, uh, potentially in small groups. One, how hard has that been for you? But two, what does it look like? What do you see potentially as an end goal to when we can get things up and running again? I think if everyone said to us at the very beginning, right, you're going to be away for nine weeks and then we'll make a decision, right, that would have killed a lot of people. And very similar like a game, we, we looked at this again, we just got to go game to game or training to training, if you like. So the beauty, and I'll go back to the plan. I mean, our head of medical guy, Rory Murray, is world-class and Kev Gary, head of athletic performance, world-class and all the stuff. The plan that they put together is for every scenario. I mean, we had a scenario right from, we had five stages before the government put out their, their stages. We knew and we gave everyone clarity what's going to happen. And we're now at the stage where we're prepared to go back. If they said, right, you're back in tomorrow, we're ready. If they say we're back in going to be a couple of weeks, we're ready for that as well. And and those guys are right in the middle of these discussions. I know we got a, we got a meeting on Wednesday to find out a bit more with the PRL, but we're ready to go. And if anything... You know, it's around working out if it's a bit delayed. And, and because of the amount of work that the players and staff have done now, if it means a little bit later, in my head, the less games that come, because we did such a good job, all it means is you got less less games to try and win it, if you like. So it's just keeping everyone stimulated as we go through. And again, that's where the connections and the culture comes in and keeping everyone on, on task. Pat, just before you go as well, it'd be good to get your thoughts on the Pacific Island Nations being a proud Samoan international. Uh, we had Gus Pichot and we had Bill Beaumont on talking about the, the growth of the game. I know you're here in the Premiership and, and that's keeping you busy, but I'm sure you've got a firm eye on what's happening over there. Obviously, Charles Piertau, we mentioned, uh, we, we, we've spoken about him. There's a lot of talk about him potentially going back to play for Tonga, having played for New Zealand. What are your thoughts on this whole residency thing and, and the kind of finances and the funding being put towards Pacific Island nations? Well, it's interesting. I always found it interesting. Now the Southern Hemisphere teams are, you know, asking for shared revenue gate. I remember when I was in Samoa, we were asking that of, you know, even New Zealand and Australia, if we could get some as well. So I think they're starting to feel the pain of the Pacific Island. If anything, it's brought everyone back down to realise some of the issues. I think the big thing, um, I'm a big fan, hopefully, of the global calendar. Well, let's get that right. I mean, it's. Oh, I am a big fan of summer summer rugby if we ended up going that way and um, you know finally getting home for Christmas for uh, would, would be nice too but I think getting all of that aligned would be great I think as far as the Pacific Island I think once you get the calendar right then it makes everything else be able to fit so if international rugby set aside at a certain window away from the the clubs then the next bit is about growing that international game so allowing players like Charles Piertel allowing the the Stephen Law to Teams that players that have who can't play for their t- uh, tier one or aren't selected. I mean, there's players who've only played one game that could go back and help the island nations. And it might only be initially, but it just brings that level up and and real interest. So rather than you know generally five or six teams that win, we start to really grow that game. So it might be just the beginning, but eventually the, the ones that are coming through locally will, will, will be fine. So that that's my view. That um, the more we can do for the tier two, the better. 
Yeah, good stuff. And the final thing I'll ask you then, Pat, uh, I know it's massive uh, down at Bristol. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic at the minute and, and social distancing is really important, but the handshakes, they're just going out of fashion now, aren't they? We're not going to be allowed to handshake, which I know is a big driver of something down at uh, the Bristol Bears with how you greet each other. Have you thought of anything else? Is it going to be a pat on the arse? Is it going to be uh, you know a little touch of the foot? How, how's it going to go down? Yeah, I think if you strip that all back and, and you can take the, the, the physical contact, but the reason we do that is to connect. You know, it's the connection. So even if it's the, you know, the old island, the old island where it used to be, they'll raise the eyebrows like that, you know, but there's so many different things. I think the main thing, the purpose behind it was to make sure you connect. And even in the new facility, you know, I was very blessed to be allowed, uh, Steve allowed me to change the whole flow of the inside of the building. And basically, when I was able to sit with the architects, talk about the culture that we want, that I don't want anyone isolated. So when you walk in, the flow is fantastic. I gave them a typical schedule to be, we can be efficient with our time. But more of the big thing now is that we'll be all able to have meals together and the way that everyone's able to connect. So I think the big thing when players come in, there's about three or four entrances, but we'll go through one way because it forces you to see the reception the same morning. You know, how you doing? Go through to certain offices, everyone say hello. So it's the actual effort of making the connect, even if you take away the physical touch. And don't get me wrong, it's uh, that adds to it. So once that comes back, they'll be found fantastic. As long as we don't lose the actual purpose is connect with everybody. All right, Pat. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Best of luck navigating your way through the remainder of this pandemic and, of course, uh, the remainder of the season, whatever that looks like. Fellas, uh, thanks. I just want to say... Awesome having me on. This is a great show. A lot of very popular. So very privileged to be invited. Thanks, fellas. Keep doing a good job. Cheers, Pat. Cheers, mate. Pat. Really appreciate Absolute it. Absolute legend. Fuck. Wow. What a ledge. I would run through a brick wall for that man. You would, wouldn't you? Matt, I'd do it for free. I'd do it for free. I'd give up chocolate for him. Oh, yeah, that's saying something. No, you wouldn't. Star, star bars out the window. Just twirls. Mate, what a bloke. Just the detail he goes into, the passion that he's got, the plans that he's made with Steve Lansdowne. Bristol are going to be an absolute monster of a club for a long, long time with him at the helm. And inspirational, that, isn't it? Mate, he was class. He was so good to have him on. But I think, and me and you have spoken about this off air. I can't remember what we spoke about on the podcast. We've spoken about a lot of bush. Uh, that's all I know. But... In terms of, we were talking about the salary cap and everyone's eyes, you know, because of the Saracens thing, it's like they're looking at the next club, aren't they? Well, how are they paying in this? How are they paying in that? And we're talking about Bristol there, aren't we? But then me and you, actually, rugby nerds, rugby nerds, started going through the Bristol team and we were like, actually... Yeah, like wh- where is the money? So you've got Charles Piertow as your uh, marquee player and he's just explained it through there about, about what, what they're you know what they've built through the club from the academy from the culture and you can hear by his voice but you can also see on the pitch and you know having someone like Steve Lansdowne obviously clearly helps the thing he spoke about the architects there and the training buildings that they're going to have I mean what a club to be involved in and you've played against Bristol loads I've played against some loads when I was at Gloucester when, when I was a youngster as well playing over in Bristol and, and the lads that come from down there they're hard do you know what I mean you get a, a, some like proper proper rugby people so no, I'm buzzing I'm buzzing he's been on and uh, mate 500 grand I'll do whatever you want mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah what a legend right are you guys up for another quarantine quiz oh god let's Oh, go on, it's then. a mixture of rugby and general knowledge again and is the best of five. Another hundred quid is going to be donated to the NHS by whoever loses. You guys ready? What are the scores on the doors? Scores on the doors right now are Jim Hamilton, five losses. And two wins. And two wins, yes. So, five uh, twos, all right, mate. Five twos, all right, because you can come back. Yeah. 
Hit me. Question number one. We had him on the show. So how many caps did Pat Lamb get for Samoa? Closest wins. Oh, wow. Uh, how many caps did he get for Samoa? I know he played in one non-cap game for New Zealand. Does that count? Uh, Goody. Not. I'm going to say 40. 40 Jim? caps for Samoa. I'm going to say less because he played for Northampton, didn't he? So what age did he come over from Northampton? Who else did he play for? He played for Newcastle as well. Yeah, Newcastle, Northampton. I'm going to say 39. <laughs> oh, man, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. <laughs> Bet I want to win Jim it. wins. The correct answer is 34. Yes! Oh, I was going to say 34 as well. I was Genuinely, I was going to say 32, but I thought I ain't going to do it because I think it's less. I'm just going on his career. There we go. 1-0 to Jim. 1-0 yes. to Jim. Come on. The question number two, what is the smallest breed of dog? Goody. Go on, Goody. It's got to be a chihuahua, Ch- isn't it? That's correct. Oh, I was about to say it as well. Mate, you can take it. What, I mean, that ain't even a dog. That, that's a cat, really. That's not even a dog. <laughs> I was actually going to say, is, is Chinchilla a dog or not? No, James. Chinchilla no, it's is not, not a dog. Well, good job. That's Chin- what I was about to say. I was about to say Chinchilla, so luckily I didn't. <laughs> the next question is, how many F1 world titles has Lewis Hamilton Jim. won? Go on, Jim. Seven. No. Oh, oh. Goody, six. That's correct, Goody. Oh, yes. damn. Damn. He was going to win this one. Next question. How many ribs does the average human have? Closest wins. Jim, go first this time. <laughs> yeah, that's the, these are the rules. No, don't one, count them, Jim. One. What do you mean, don't count? What, I'm not allowed to count my own ribs? <laughs> 14. Incorrect. Closest wins, you said. Oh, Fuck it, a lot more than that, isn't it? No, stop counting. Stop counting your ribs. Oh, you can't, can't even feel mate, them. I can't, feel, can't my ribs. Ribs. <laughs> I can't feel my ribs. That's uh, 24. 24 is correct. Oh, oh my <laughs> word. How does a man who doesn't even feel his ribs or see his ribs know how many he's got? I can feel six. I did it by, uh, by a few calculations. I can feel six, which means if you double it, it's probably about right. So I've got six hiding, six that I can feel. That's 12 on one side, oh, 12 on the other side. That's 24, Jim. Well done, Goody. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Jim. That's another victory to me. If Goody knows what the smallest dog in the world is, he can take it. And if he's fluking through the ribs one, he can take it as well. <laughs> All right, Jim, you love this uh, section. Do you want to introduce it? Yeah, because I'll definitely win this one uh, because it's my segment. It's Jim will solve it. Riddle me this, riddle me that. Jim will solve it. Hit me. All right, today's riddle. A man rode out of town on Sunday. He stayed a whole night at a hotel and rode back to town the next day on Sunday. How is this possible? So a man rode into town on Sunday. He stayed a whole night at a hotel and rode back out of town the next day on Sunday. Well, it's not possible, is it? Like, if you, if he's going to stay overnight, it's Monday the next day, isn't it? This is so easy, Jim. A man rode into town on Sunday. So it's Sunday when he's rode into the town, right? Yeah. He stayed a whole night at a hotel and rode back out of town the next day on Sunday. So easy, Jim. Like, no pressure. Just have a think no, about it. No, shut up. Shut up. Have a think about the, log- lo- the logistics. Literally, I can't, I can't get my head around this one. Give me a hint. Think about the logistics of what he's doing. A man rode out of town on Sunday, yeah. So he's rode out of, out of town. Right, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. On Sunday, yeah. Yeah, on Sunday. He stayed a whole night at a hotel. Yeah. Which would have been nice with no kids. <laughs> yeah. And, and rode back to town the next day on Sunday. Yeah. How is it possible? He slept in the day. 
No, no. So if he's rode out of town on Sunday... Yeah. And the next day he's rode back into town on Sunday... Yeah. What is he riding on? A horse. Yep. So a man rode out of town on Sunday. He stayed a whole night at the hotel and he rode back in the horse to the town the next day on Sunday. (laughs) I haven't got a fucking clue. I haven't got a clue. (laughs) This is the problem with me because my brain doesn't think simple. It thinks like bigger picture. Yeah, so, this is quite simple. It's what he slept on the horse. <laughs> no. Like, imagine taking Ace Ace for a walk, right? Yeah. So imagine you ride out on Ace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you stay at a hotel with Ace. Yeah. And then you ride back in on Ace. Yeah, but if I stay overnight, then it's the next day. But what did you ride out on? On Ace. Right. Yeah. What did this man ride out on? A horse. Well, I mean, that, what the fuck does that matter? What, what does it matter what you wrote out on? <laughs> well, Jim, let, let, me, let, me, let me put this to you and, and, see, and see if you can work this out, okay? So, so, the, so it's, it's a, the riddle it's that you've to, got yeah. is the riddle that you've got. But I'm going to change it slightly and see if it makes any difference to you. All right. But it's kind of the same thing. So, Jim rode out of town on Ace... He stayed a whole night at a hotel and rode back to town the next day on Ace. How is this possible? And then put that into context with the actual riddle that we've got in front of us and see if you can work it out. What have I changed? Nothing. Well, I have. Well, I've changed, the dog? I, I, I've changed Ace. So something to do with the horse then, isn't it? Yes, James. So a man rode out of town on Sunday. So he rode out of town on the horse on Sunday. He stayed a whole night at a hotel and rode... <laughs> Why are you putting in the word, or the letter A, on a horse on Sunday? Matt, I, can't, I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me. I'm happy to concede. I'm happy to concede on this. Okay, you're happy to concede, so I can go ahead and give you the answer. Well, break it to me slowly, and let's see if we can get it along the way. Well, I tried to break it down with what your new uh, family member well, is, Ace. I, well, I don't get our walk going out on a dog or a horse is any different. Okay, so if you rode out on Ace, yeah, but you changed Ace's name to Sunday and you rode out on Sunday. Oh, it's the name. Oh, my God. <laughs> so basically, a man rode out of town on Sunday. So he rode, so that's the name of the horse. Yeah, he stayed Yay! a whole night at a hotel and rode back to. to oh, my goodness. <laughs> my brain is flickering the whole time. Like, I can't do what I, I'm just thinking bigger picture the whole time. That, that's too easy. Like They need to be more difficult than that because that one's stupid. But anyway, riddle me this, riddle me that. Riddle me this, riddle me that. Goody just solved it. Sunday is a horse, apparently. <laughs> Any rumours floating around, boys? You want to have a look at the rumour mill? Well, Jim, you broke one last week, didn't you, that went viral? The one about Marrow? Yeah. Well, I did a bit of digging. There was still stuff out there, actually. Um, but then Jordy denied it and said they're going to announce the second row on Sunday. And we record on Monday, and I ain't seen an announcement. I think he said this week, didn't he? Oh, did he? All right, well, I thought Sunday because it's a horse. Get it? Oh, yeah, mate, I do, yeah. <laughs> See what I've done there. So it doesn't matter what day it is. But talking of Leicester, talking of Leicester, there's talk of Nick Azikwe going on there alone, on loan and Alex Lewington as well. But who knows? It's just rumours. Yeah, there's players obviously looking for for jobs but yeah I mean there's still decisions to be made around some of the Saracens players I did hear a rumour and Jim mentioned it last week 
that ring fencing might be back on the table. So what would happen to all those Saracens players that have agreed to go elsewhere if it was then ring fenced, James? So you were laughing at me every time I brought it up. I don't know whether oh, you're no, laughing. I didn't laugh. Or you're in disgust, sorry. You're, you're in disgust. But you, you, know, you see my point here, don't you? Well, I think the, the, the financial implications then... Uh, for some certainty, perhaps that's why clubs are looking at it. Whether it goes ahead, I don't know. Um, it's but then again, with ring fencing, it's always something that's being discussed, isn't it? And it's maybe it's just another topic that's being discussed at Premiership board level. You know, obviously there's been no TV revenue deal, TV rights deal been signed yet uh, for the end of next season. So it, it, that's why a lot of these things are being discussed now. And, and quite frankly, while there's no rugby to talk about, the clubs have got a lot of time to discuss other things around the game. If you're on the lookout for some extra content, just check out our Superfan subscription service at patreon.com. I caught up with Ireland Sevens International and Love Island star Greg O'Shea for a chat on there recently. We thought we'd play you a quick clip of that now just to give you a little taste of what's on offer. So getting getting back to rugby now, looking at your upbringing. So your, your mum and dad were both sprinters, weren't they? Did that sort of help you out when it came to naturally getting into sport and choosing rugby? Yeah, so both my parents sprinted for Ireland and my dad and his brothers and all that side of his family are massive rugby heads. Like we the local club here called Shannon, like everyone has played for them. My grandfather's played for them. My mother worked the tuck shop, like it's crazy. Um so there was kind of really wasn't an option that I was going playing rugby. And I played rugby internationally and I sprinted internationally until I was about sixteen and then I was coming towards the end of school and Munster came in and offered me a contract, but they were like, You obviously can't compete at two sports uh, at an elite level if we're giving you a contract. So I picked Rob because it's just, I wasn't running 10.1 seconds for 100 meters. Like, and you'd want to be doing that by the time you're 18 if you're going to have any career in athletics. What um, were you so running? I ran 10.87 when I was 16. <sighs> 10.87 wasn't bad when I was a young fella. And then I just gave it up and I took up the rugby contract and I did my couple of years at Munster. Then after that, my third year in Munster, I went to visit an ex-girlfriend in New York and I was cycling a bike and I fell off the bike and I kicked the, the cog of it, you know, the, the disc, the sharp bit that the chain goes around. I kicked it with my the back of my left leg and I just lacerated my Achilles and like taking a knife and just cutting your Achilles in two. Like, so, oh man, it was the war. The blood was ever. I had white shoes on that turned completely red and you can't even like, you can't even like put your foot on the ground without your Achilles. Like, it's just... Was fucked. So I, uh, I rang home. I, sorry, I got a taxi to the emergency room, which cost a hundred dollars uh, each way. And then I went into the surgeon. He was like, "Yeah, like your Achilles is gone. You need to get surgery as soon as possible if you're an athlete." Like, and so I rang home to Munster. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, this is after happening." And they were like, "All right, get on the next flight home." They flew me home. I got surgery in Ireland up in, uh, and sorted me out grand and Munster gave me another year contract to kind of sort my leg out which is great for them I put my hand up they didn't have to do that uh, but I never really got the leg back to where I was um, I still haven't to this day got to back to where I was so I wasn't successful at getting a senior contract in Munster and the seventh team picked me up and uh, haven't looked back since and I love it there you go just head to patreon.com forward slash the rugby pod if you like the sound of that it's just a few quid a month for loads of extra interviews and features and we couldn't do all of this without you so a massive thanks to everyone that signed up for your support yeah i did listen to parts of your interview you, your voice went very squeaky and like it was very it's like when carol vorderman was on and goody's gone from uh goody to andrew oh hello carol thank you for <laughs> yes it's, thank you for coming on our podcast it is uh yes it's a great revelation to have someone of your standing in the community come on our podcast and the airway sir <laughs> <laughs> right let's finish things off with the good the bad and the ugly which is brought to you by sons again this week isn't it goody 
Uh, yeah, we're into May now, and that means I've been using Sons for three months, which is when people really start to see the results. And uh, Jim, you've clearly been using it as well, haven't you, mate? I'm seeing a few sprouts come through now, mate. Um, I don't know what you call it. Um, I think you call it when the bird comes to seed, you know, when the hair comes through. And uh, yeah, it's seeding. It's seeded. And now it is uh, sprouting. So the seeding is now sprouting. Thank you to Sunning. Get it? Sons. Sons is a men's health brand that is helping guys with one of the key issues they don't often talk about, how to keep their hair. They do this by offering free online consultations with GPs, providing a range of licensed and medically proven products for preventing and treating hair loss and delivering via a monthly subscription direct to your door. They get results in 9 out of 10 men too and you can take the consultation in less than 2 minutes. So just check out sons.co.uk and use the code RUGBYPOD10 to get your first month for just 10 quid and show hair loss who's boss. That's S-O-N-S dot co dot U-K, and the code is RugbyPod10. Go and check them out. Uh, yeah, a few good bits this weekend uh, and over the last week. We'll start off with one of my old teammates uh, who's announced his retirement today, actually. Rory Jackson, or Rudrith Jackson, as he likes to be known. Jim, you played with him, I played with him. How he ever played professional rugby uh, with a rig like that? I mean, I can say that. Yeah, big shout out. He's off to carry on heavily in his business garden shed gin and it's not a plug doesn't need to be it's bloody good and uh i drink it uh, regularly and uh he's going to get involved in that fair play to him that big shout out horrible horrible lid and really hairy legs but anyway that doesn't matter he's had a hell of an innings and a big shout out to him yeah good good innings there by rory jackson uh, what else was good world rugby what the finally changed the law so you can't score against the base of a post uh it just became indefensible at times didn't it so uh, i think that's a good move uh, from world rugby so well done them and then what else is good bowden barrett oh my bowden barrett outfit um they've started training again they've done the bronco uh and he's done a pb i think he broke a record in new zealand four minutes and 12 seconds he's got some work to do to catch me though because i did it in four minutes and six seconds once no that was the uh, the bucking bronco that one in ibiza you know that one that you yeah the, yeah wrong one mate that was a record though mate not many people have stayed on that for four minutes or whatever it was with a cigarette in their mouth <laughs> yeah i've just got a solid center of gravity mate that kept me on it yeah, i'm getting the broncos mixed up here but yeah big shout out to Bodie barrett uh, but the goo this week, we've mentioned him before on this podcast uh, and we've mentioned his recovery. But Michael Fatialofa walked two kilometres this week, just four months after his spinal injury, uh, which is truly inspirational. I can't even manage walking 2K a day myself. So uh, to see Michael Fatialofa coming back from what was a horrific injury uh, to do with his spine and walking 2K, he gets the goo this week. What a fantastic effort. What a fantastic, inspirational story. Aero goody. Uh, and then the bad, a couple of bits of bad this week, actually. And we're going to start off with, unfortunately, Gus Pichot. And it's not that Gus Pichot's bad. It's the fact that Gus Pichot has decided to step down uh, from any duties to do with World Rugby. He's walking away. Um, he doesn't want his seat anymore. We had him on the show a few weeks back when he was talking about the campaign. Uh, and he's now decided he can't keep the seat for the sake of it. So he wants someone else to take hold of that and push it in a different direction um so that's it's bad news that he stood down but also some of the reports around some of the voting uh are getting a mention in the bad this week because from what i'm reading and it is only rumors but i'm reading that rugby europe didn't even read gus pichot's manifesto um and then the actual bad this week goes to gloucester rugby club what's happened spe- now well not specifically the whole club just the formulation around Johan Ackerman leaving and what we discussed earlier, it's not cricket for me. And they play cricket mm. in the warm-up, don't they, before a game? 
Uh, when you're hearing the rumours of a split and reasons behind someone as influential as Johan Ackerman to leave the club, uh, I just don't think it sits well. So unfortunately, the bad this week goes to the behind-the-scenes stuff around Gloucester Rugby Club and the exit of Johan Ackerman. I need, I'm gutted about that. I need to do some digging. Get get me knife and fork out and start digging. And then the ugly, uh, only one ugly this week, really, and it goes over to Australia. And the three players who have refused to take a pay cut, they've been told not to report to training for the Queensland Reds, uh, in their return to training protocol around their national tournament that they may be playing in. Isaac Rodder, Isaac Lucas and Harry Hawkins, three players that are the only three players to refuse to take a pay cut around the pandemic and everything like that. We appreciate they can reserve their position, but it just doesn't look good on the game. So uh, they've been told not to turn up. And just to go on top of that, they've also been told that they're not going to get paid during their time away from the team. So um, it didn't really work. Oh. Perhaps should have taken a pay cut. Thanks, Scooty. And you guys got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yes, we have Andy Rowe. Thanks very much. Big shout-out to John Marty, who's the captain of Rugby Club Sant Cugat, I think it's called, Cugat in Spain. He's currently undergoing chemotherapy for lymphoma, but he's shown real determination, and everyone at the club is looking forward to seeing him back on the field as soon as possible. So keep going, John, and all the best from everyone here at the podcast. Yeah, keep fighting the good fight, John. Uh, and a big shout-out to Gemma Livingston-Steele uh, and her Preston Grasshoppers ladies teammates who are running slash walking a combined 1,869 miles, which is the year the team was founded for the Association of NHS Charities. They're aiming to complete the challenge by the end of May, and a lot of them, including Gemma, are NHS key workers. So they're trying to fit it in between shifts, which is a hell of an effort. Keep it up, girls, and just head to justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash hoppers dash women if you can help them out that is a sterling effort girls so well done yeah finally another shout out i'm actually taking part in this one it was Stuart Stuart hogg that got in contact with me it's called the hashtag mmm challenge uh, it's a cycling one goody so if your bike's here in time on the 30th and the 31st of may so 24 hours of cycling goody you don't need to cycle for 24 hours you can get involved you can do two minutes if you want uh, i think i'm going to do a couple of hours we'll see so the hashtag mmm it's for the foundation Make Minds Move, uh, and there's going to be seminars throughout the day. Just look out. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. And thank you very much for listening, especially GWP31. He says he listens in one ear, went out running with his dogs, and often has to stop because he's laughing so much. He's socially isolating, but we're keeping him company apparently. And he says, thanks, Jim, Andy, Andy, and Tim. Hashtag lockdown relief. So if you have time to leave us a review on iTunes this week, We'd very much appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Ruby Pod. Pod, pod, pod.